Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading this morning is the story about David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse 17. Jesse said to his son David, please take your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread. Deliver them quickly to your brothers in the camp. And here... Take these ten wages of cheese to their unit commander. Find out how your brothers are doing and bring back some sign that they are okay. There was Saul and all the Israelite troops fighting the Philistines in the Elah Valley. So David got up early in the morning, left someone in charge of the flock, and loaded up and left, just as his father Jesse had instructed him. He reached the camp right when the army was taking up their battle formations and shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines took up their battle formations opposite each other. David left his things with an attendant and ran to the front line. When he arrived, he asked how his brothers were doing. Right when David was speaking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came forward from the Philistine ranks and said the same things he had said before. David listened. When the Israelites saw Goliath, every one of them ran away terrified of him. Now the Israelite soldiers had been saying to each other, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? How he comes to insult Israel. The king will reward with great riches whoever kills that man. The king will give his own daughter to him and make his household exempt from taxes in Israel. David asked the soldiers standing by him, what will be done for the person who kills that Philistine over there and removes this insult from Israel? Who is that uncircumcised Philistine anyway that he can get away with insulting the army of the living God? Then the troops repeated to him what they had been saying, so that's what, we, what will be done for the man who kills him, they said. When David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard him talking to the soldiers, he got very mad at David. Why did you come down here, he said. Who is watching those few sheep for you in the wilderness? I know how arrogant you are in your devious plan. You came down just to see the battle. What did I do wrong this time, David replied. It was just a question. So David turned to someone else and asked the same thing, and the people said the same thing in reply. The things David had said were overheard and reported to Saul, who sent for him. Don't let anyone lose courage because of this Philistine, David told Saul. I am your servant. I, your servant, will go out and fight him. You can't go out and fight this Philistine, Saul answered David. You are still a boy, and he's been a warrior since he was a boy. Your servant has kept his father's sheep, David replied. And if ever a lion or bear came and carried off one of the flock, I would go after it, strike it, and rescue the animal from its mouth. 
If it turned on me, I would grab it at its jaw, strike it, and kill it. Your servant has, brought, has fought both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has insulted the army of the living God. The Lord, David added, who rescued me from the power of both lions and bears will rescue me from the power of this Philistine. Go, Saul replied to David, and may the Lord be with you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1969, there was a Canadian educator by the name of Lawrence J. Peter who published a work that is well-known in the business and leadership world called The Peter Principle. I remember learning it in a management class back in college. Peter believed and wrote in this book that in every hierarchical organization that eventually people are promoted to a place of incompetency. That if you wait long enough, People who are otherwise good employees at lower levels of importance or responsibility will be noticed for their good work and their competence, and they will be promoted to a position that they have not been adequately trained for or have competence to do well. He writes, in a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to his level of incompetence. In time, every post tends to be occupied by an employee who is incompetent to carry out its duties. Work is accomplished by those employees who have not yet reached their level of incompetence. Now, I don't know if Lawrence Peter is right or not. Thank goodness this never happens with pastors and churches, right? But I would argue that on this particular day and this particular story, that's exactly the kind of situation Goliath found himself in. Though he had, for most of his adult life, been a successful soldier, triumphed many times in previous battles, taken on many foes, he just wasn't ready on this day to face a shepherd boy. He lacked the basic competency to beat David in battle. Now, that's not how you've heard the story, is it? The way we most often are told the story of David and Goliath is poor little David didn't stand a chance against big old Goliath. And yet, David's the one that walks away with the victory. What if Goliath discovered the Peter Principle won battle too late? Back in spring of 1991, a group of us from this church went to Chalco, Mexico to help in the construction of a new church. Chalco is a sprawling, very impoverished community that lacked basic infrastructure. The water that we needed to make the cement to build the building was way down the road and had to be claimed from a public well. Well, one day we're working at the site. I was much younger. I was 24. I was much thinner back then, and I was in much better shape. 
Well, we were out of water, and so one of the workers, one of the Mexican workers who was there, came and grabbed me to go and get the water with them. And he was about a third of my size. But apparently he looked at me and figured I was three times as big as him. That must make me three times as strong. So off we go down the road, dirt road, lots of rocks, with a wheelbarrow and a big plastic container to fill with water. And the plan is I'll be the one pushing it back. So we fill up the water and I struggled. I had a hard time getting that thing to go forward on that dirt road. I got it about a third of the way back and I stopped. I was huffing and puffing. I needed to catch my breath. I had full intention to do it, you know, take it back the rest of the way. But my partner just grabbed the water and took off. <laughs> he went back the rest of the way in half the time that I had gone such the shorter distance. Clearly, he was the giant that day. Now, by the time we get to the story in 1 Samuel 17, David, who will fight Goliath, has already been anointed to become king. We don't get that in 1 Samuel 17. No one there at the battle seems to know that this shepherd boy will one day be their leader. But just in the chapter prior, the prophet Samuel had gone to the village of Bethlehem because God had instructed him to go there and anoint a future king. He was led to the home of Jesse, and Jesse had eight sons. And so Samuel said, may I see your sons? And so he brings out the first, the eldest. That was the tradition. You always bring out the eldest. His name was Eliab. And Samuel assumed, of course, this will be the future king of Israel. But God spoke to Samuel saying, have no regard for Eliab, for his appearance or stature, because I haven't selected him. God doesn't look at things like humans do. That's a good line. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart. So Eliab's not going to be the king, so Jesse brings out the second son, then the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, then the sixth, then the seventh, and there's no more sons to be seen. He says, don't you have any more sons? Well, I do have one more. He's a shepherd out in the field. Send for him. And David becomes anointed to be the future king of Israel. But this day on the battlefield, we have no sense of that. All seven of David's older brothers have gone to fight with the Israeli army to fight against these Philistine enemies. But David was left at home to shepherd his flock in the fields. But Jesse was anxious to hear news of the battle, to make sure his sons were fine. So he loads David up with some food supplies, sends him to the battle line in hopes of hearing good news about his sons. And as David arrives, he finds that on one side of the battlefield is the army of Israel. On the other side of the field is the army of Philistine, the Philistines. And in the middle of the battlefield is a nine-foot giant named Goliath. Now, normally, most of the battles we've heard about, including those in Scripture, one army fights another army. There's lots of bloodshed. Lots of people die. But Goliath has a different proposal altogether. 
In 1 Samuel 17, verse 4 and following, it says, A champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was more than nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore bronze scale armor, weighing 125 pounds. He had bronze plates on his shins and a bronze scimitar hung on his back. His spear shaft was as strong as the bar on a weaver's loom, and its iron head weighed 15 pounds. His shield-bearer walked in front of him. He stopped and shouted to the Israelite troops, Why have you come and taken up battle formations? I am the Philistine champion, and you are Saul's servants. Isn't that right? Select one of your men and let him come down against me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we'll become your slaves. And if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our slaves and you will serve us. I insult Israel's troops today. Now, this seems like a pretty reasonable solution, doesn't it? Why send out hundreds, thousands of men to die when we could just send out one to fight against Goliath? You pick your best guy, we'll pick our best guy. It's an entirely practical solution unless you're Israel and you don't have a nine-foot warrior. Now, what's so interesting to me about this story is that the Israelites never come back with a counteroffer. They say, the Philistines say, we'll send Goliath, you send your best, and we'll see how this works out. Well, we know how it's going to work out. And the Israelites, rather than saying, no, we don't like your offer, here's what we propose, they seem frozen in the situation, don't they? They've heard from Goliath, this is how it's going to go, and so I guess this is going to have to go. And so they're looking up and down the line. Is he going to fight him? Is he going to fight him? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where the fear of the moment, the confrontation of the moment seems to freeze you into that situation and, and seems to block you from considering other options? How often do we not flee or fight? We just freeze, and we just don't know what to do. Now, David is listening. David is hearing all of this, and David has a different proposal. As you heard me read a moment ago from 1732 and following, David, the young shepherd boy, approaches the king, Saul, and says, don't let anyone lose courage because of this Philistine. I, your servant, will go out and fight him. Well, Saul, of course, says, you, you can't fight him. He, he's been a soldier since he was a boy, and you're just a boy. But David has skills no one seems to be aware of. He says, your servant has kept his father's sheep, and even if ever a lion or a bear came and carried off one of the flock, I would go after it and strike it and rescue the animal from its mouth. If it turned on me, I would grab its jaw and strike it and kill it. Your servant has fought both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he's insulted the army of the living God. And so surprisingly, Saul gives his approval. There's no way this, this young shepherd boy can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this Goliath. And yet, 
He's the only one who's willing. So there they are in the battlefield, David and Goliath. Goliath wearing heavy battle armor, carrying a sword and a shield. And here comes David. Nothing but a sling and a few stones. And who wins? One stone flung through the air, lands between Goliath's eyes, and he's done for. The author Malcolm Gladwell says, the powerful and the strong are not always what they seem. A few years ago, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. It's not a religious book, and it's not even really about the story of David and Goliath, but he does use it as a framework for how often those who are considered underdogs in the world have defeated the seeming giant. And Gladwell proposes that maybe we've been reading this story wrong all the time, as though Goliath had all of the advantages and David had all of the disadvantages. He claims it's just the opposite. When Goliath challenged the Israelite army to send out their best, he imagined that someone was going to come out on his terms, that someone would stand toe-to-toe and clang swords with him. He didn't expect to fight a rock thrower. If you're going to sling a sword or throw a spear, you need to be solidly planted on the ground, but a rock slinger can run and is likely more nimble. And in this case, we know David was deadly accurate. And if we are to read this story literally, that, that David and Goliath were real, real people who met on the battlefield, you, you might stop and ask the question, well, how did Goliath get so darn big? Is it possible for anyone to grow to be nine feet tall? Well, Malcolm Gladwell suggests that possibly the reason he was so big is that he had a a malady called acromegaly. Acromegaly. Sorry, I didn't pronounce that quite right. Acromegaly. Acromegaly is a medical condition where your body does not stop releasing the growth hormone that we need through childhood and adolescence. And those who have acromegaly continue to grow throughout their lives. Some of you may remember the professional wrestler and actor Andre the Giant. He had acromegaly. He also had a number of health issues because of it. I had a fraternity brother who had acromegaly. It is something that is real. that causes people to grow quite large and quite strong, but they have a number of other issues. And one of the other issues with acromegaly is eyesight. It affects eyesight. And Gladwell makes a point that, that Goliath had to be led out onto the battlefield by his shield bearer that maybe he didn't even see the rock when it came hurling toward his forehead. Obviously, David credits God with the victory. God is the one who made Israel victorious that day. David is clear about that. But David also brought skills and experience, courage and conviction. 
The point of this story really isn't about its historic accuracy or if there was a Goliath, what was his medical condition or to glamorize violence. That's not the point. The point of the story, I think, is this, that the right person with the right tools and experience in the right place, at the right time, with the right faith in God, and the right convictions can change the course of history. Let me say that again. The point of the story is the right person with the right tools and experience in the right place, at the right time, with the right faith in God, and the right convictions can change the course of history. The Greek mathematician Archimedes writes, Give me a place to stand and a lever long enough and a fulcrum and I can move the earth. For the last month, our theme has been work as worship. We've talked about the many ways that what we do on a daily basis is as important or perhaps more important than what we do when we gather here. That that when we work, that it's meant to be an extension of our worship. That just as we worship God through song and prayer and scripture here, we worship God with the way we work in the world. That God is equally present in the sanctuary and in your home and office. That God is equally present and equally blessed when we worship or when we work, when we do religious rituals or our work rituals, whether what we do is sacramental or secular, God is in both. Some of the work we do is paid and some of it is volunteer. Some we do to take care of ourselves and our family and some we do for others. Some we consider a calling and some work we do is just a tedious pain in the neck. And some of the work we do requires special talents And some work we do just requires a warm body to show up. But all the work we do, if we do it with integrity and we do our very best job and we do it with God in mind, can be a way to honor God. And as we do it, sometimes we're presented with unexpected opportunities to utilize our gifts, our abilities, our experiences the the package that we are that's unlike anybody else and makes us the right person to face the giant. David had the right combination of physical speed, skill with the sling, experience as a shepherd, and an unwavering trust in God. He was the only one who could go on the battlefield. He was the only one who could bring down the giant. Just like Queen Esther was the only one who had access to the king. Just like Moses was the only one who knew both the desert and Pharaoh's court. Just like the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee and understood Jewish law and was a Roman citizen. Sometimes the right combination of gifts and skills and experience that God has invested in you makes you the right person for the particular moment. And by the way, When Goliath issued his challenge, send out your warrior and we'll do battle, no one on the Israelite side was looking for a David either. Everybody was wondering who of us is going to go and fight Goliath like Goliath wants to fight. They didn't even consider option C or D or E. Has that ever happened to us? 
Do we ever find ourselves in difficult situations and we just keep looking at the same old, obvious, traditional, worn-out solutions when the right answer, the right idea, the right person possibly is standing right in front of us? They just weren't, the idea just wasn't what we expected. Friends, if our work is our worship, and if the way that we participate in the life of the kingdom is through our work, and if we honor God through our daily lives, then you and I need to be ready to respond when the need arises, when the giant arises, and we're the one that God calls on to take a stand. I don't know if David ever imagined using his sling and rock on the battlefield, but you do imagine that every day out there as a shepherd, he was practicing with it, slinging one rock after another until he perfected that skill. Maybe there's some skill in your life that you've done thousands upon thousands of times and you've never thought it was important because it just comes so naturally to you. What is it that you're so uniquely gifted to do that really only you can do it? What gift has God given you that God intends for you to nurture and use for the sake of God's kingdom? Carrie Nywolf says, you cheat your gift when you use your gift, but never take the time to develop it. Now, there's a thing that preachers say that maybe we shouldn't. Something you've probably heard in church and you've probably heard me say and you might have heard Pastor Emily say and I guarantee you've heard some preachers say is some version of the expression God doesn't equip the called. God God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Does that sound familiar? God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the call. Now, I need to just tell you, that's what preachers have come up with so that when you say to us that I don't know if I'm qualified to serve in that leadership role or to serve on that committee, we can say to you, all God wants is a willing heart. God equips the called. And I suspect that that's true to some degree. But I think David shows us that God also calls the equipped. And God's been equipping you your entire life. Every lesson you've ever learned, every skill you've ever uh, developed, every relationship you have, all of your passions, your interests, your innate talents, your aptitudes, every tool in your toolbox, God has been placing there for a reason so that when it's time to face the giant and you're the one, you're already equipped. How will you respond to the call? Hopefully none of us will ever be faced to, called to face a literal Goliath, hopefully. But there are still plenty of battles to be fought And there are still plenty of giants to be defeated. Who's ready to sling some stones? Let's pray. And so, Lord, for all that you've invested in us, for all that you've prepared us for, when the opportunity arises, give us courage and give us faith. Lord, may there be some Davids among us 
who are ready to serve you. No matter what the cost, no matter how intimidating the foe, use us while we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.